The snap, the put down, the swing of the leg. It is on its way. It is good! Cincinnati wins the American Championship! Here comes Moses. Here comes the quarterback, Burrow. Looking for a block, and he got it up on the front by Hopkins into the end zone. Touchdown! What a skip! There's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. Welcome back. Ed, how we doing tonight? I gotta unmute myself. I'm great. How are you? Doing all right. It is Ed and myself, Jeffrey finds himself in Arizona where he went to a Diamondbacks Dodgers game on, Not yet. on Sunday. So no, that's this Sunday? Uh, possibly. Whatever. Right now he's making he's, spaghetti. He's apparently going to a Diamondbacks game. Um, so we do have a fill in and that fill in is none other than recurring best friend of the show, Clay Snowden. So Clay, welcome back as always, sir. Thank you, thank you. And Clay brought a friend. So we do have another special guest. Uh, his name is, I'm gonna, is it Aram? Aram, like almost like Aaron. Aram, almost had it. I, I get confused. My name's Aaron, so I, I wanted you to be like me. But so, so we have Aram Layton, and uh, you cover the minor leagues, correct? Yeah, so minors and, of course, just, just about everything. But uh, main focus is prospects and uh, – of course, the, the Reds have quite a few good ones, so uh, I'm excited to talk about it. But yeah, it, it's become such a big uh, market in terms of people wanting to know about the prospects, especially when your team's struggling. So it's been a lot of fun being able to cover that, especially with minor league baseball back. And it was just Father's Day, and I understand that you wrote a nice Father's Day piece. So where can people check out your writing if they wanted to check out what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at A-R-A-M-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N and the number eight on Twitter and actually just launched, uh, it's been a year plus in the making, but, um, uh, my baseball website, just baseball.com, uh, J U S T baseball.com. And it's got everything there from prospects, major leagues, college, fantasy collectibles, everything you can imagine, uh, built out the staff and a lot of really talented, awesome writers. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So, uh, great timing. It's what I spent the last year doing and, I uh, haven't really slept in a day, so if I start talking nonsense, uh, just bring me back in here. But uh, I'm excited to be on, and uh, it, it's been a really fun day, and I'm glad I could uh, finish it off with this uh, show. For sure. And now, JustBaseball.com, that's a fantastic website name. First off, how was it Thank not you. taken? And second, I know, right? what was the inspiration? Because, I mean, it seems so simple, but I know that can be like the hardest thing is coming up with a name. Yeah, so it's funny. Originally, I wanted to be like more creative. And the problem with baseball is that it's just been around for so long that even the the people that don't like baseball or don't pay attention to baseball use the cliches and the sayings day to day. Think about how many of them just like make their way into daily life with just the most basic terms. So I was like, okay, everything is so played out. What am I going to do? Um, so I was just thinking about it, trying to way too hard to be clever. And I literally was like kidding. I told my friends, like, why don't we just make it baseball? And then I thought we literally could just make it just baseball. <laughs> and we looked up the domain. It wasn't that expensive. And, uh, 
I was like, you know what? This will be great. It'll be really easy. And we went with that. So I had a bunch of different ideas of play on words, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to have to explain this to people. And I already have to explain my name, as you could notice on the intro, all the time. Dang, so I was like, if I have to mean. explain my company, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm not <laughs> dealing with that. So um, I wanted to make my company as simple as possible because my parents gave me a confusing name. I mean, Aaron, you'd be amazed at how many people – the only way the only way people know how to spell my name is because of Key and Peele. Yeah, yeah, the double so, A. What yeah, up, A.A. So, Ron? Anyway. Okay. Um, so, hey, real quick, real Clay, quick. I know you had some questions that you wanted yeah, well, to, for, to get to. First you. thing I wanted to do is um, – so I, I found out about your podcast because I write for Locked On Reds. So a lot of Locked On, for those of you who don't know, it's a daily podcast – um, company. So we actually have a website where we write as well, which is different than a lot of locked on, but you have a podcast, you do locked on Marlins, but you also do locked on prospects, which I've started to listen to. And I listen to religiously now and it's fantastic information. Um, a lot of prospect information is not nearly as deep diving as yours. And I try to put out some of your clips on certain Reds players, but Twitter only allows two minutes and 40 seconds, and you'll talk for seven minutes about a player. It's incredible content. So I just wanted to see, um, like, how did you get started professionally kind of covering prospects, and um, when, when did you start doing that? Yeah, well, I appreciate the support, man, and, and the snippets I love because it helps me. I, I, I try to cut it up, but I don't know what's going to play well, what people like. So I, I really appreciate you sharing the red stuff and, and listening. But for me, it was actually a, a bit of a whirlwind because I went to – I was initially going to play ball in college, tore my labrum. Uh, I was signed to play at Amherst and everything. And uh, after I tore my labrum and then I had to get ankle surgery as well, I was like, I'm not rehabbing this. I'm not going through all this. I'm not going to the league. Uh, so I was very torn still ended up going to Syracuse, uh, to study broadcast journalism. So I was like, if I can't play, then I want to cover it. Uh, long story short, graduated from Syracuse a year ago and had a minor league play-by-play -play job lined up. Uh, but the minor league season got canceled as that was last year. So that job disappeared. I was just chomping at the bit to do something. I was hosting Locked on Marlins. And uh, I had so many of my friends that I played in high school with or played travel ball with uh, that are were playing in pro ball. And uh, I had just been talking to them and like, you know, what are you doing? How are you staying fresh? Just those kinds of questions. And I figured maybe maybe like fans want to know about that. Maybe fans want to know what the hell is going on with their prospects when the minor league season's canceled. So I pitched the idea to Locked on about having a prospect-centered show where I could bring on guys once a week and interview them. And that's kind of how it started. And then I just kept getting more and more questions about analysis and diving into it. And I've always been super into uh, the prospect rankings and the stats and stuff like that. Um, and you, you pair that with just how much I've had to keep up with it just with my friends in the league or playing in the minors and all of those things. And uh, it all just kind of worked out. And once I started doing it during, the, uh, during COVID time and everything, I think it was a little bit backwards to pitch a prospect show when no, there's no minor league season, but I actually think it made for a little bit more demand because it was an opportunity to kind of be able to one, tell people stories, but two, 
be able to talk to them, bring them on the show. More people were available. And three, uh, just keep up with a little bit of minor league talk, even though there was nothing going on. And it was a ton of fun. And now it's turned into this informative show. Like you, like you mentioned, I still have interviews from time to time, every couple of weeks. I just had Alec Burleson on, um, who, who's been doing amazing so far this year for the Cardinals. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's been a whirlwind and it's been a lot of fun. And it's been amazing seeing how much the show has grown over the last year. We hate the Cardinals. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, but yeah, it's, I've not had a Reds prospect on yet. Actually, um, I do need to. I do need to get a Reds prospect on. Accurate. So, speaking of Reds prospects, I know we could go through all types of lists and talk about all these names. Um, there's a few that we definitely want to cover, and I want to start off with. I've been driving the. Alejo Lopez fan train forever. And I watched him. I went to the alternate side, which is in Louisville this year, and watched several games post-spring training and before minor league started. And I had known about Alejo Lopez, but he's not a top 30 prospect. And it kind of gave me the same vibes if you remember, I know we all do, 2019 Josh Van Meter came out of nowhere for the Reds and put together a pretty decent season and ended up being traded to the Diamondbacks, but he wasn't a top 30 prospect, ended up getting called up. Alejo Lopez has hit at every single level. He's a switch hitter, can lead off, play second, third. He's played some short, but it's been a while. And at the alt side, he was actually playing left field as well. Um, he's on a 10-game hitting streak, has the most hits in the minor leagues, I was just wondering what you had thought about Alejo Lopez and kind of where these slap hitters who don't have any power, um, you know, in the day of the home run, they really are not going to end up on prospect lists. Where do you see a player like Alejo Lopez um, potentially playing for the Reds in the future? Before you give the real answer, it doesn't matter where he plays as long as he's in over Heinemann or Freeman because good God. <laughs> Good God. But go ahead yeah. with the real answer. Honestly, I, I love the whole lead-in because I, I really think that a guy like Alejo Lopez somewhat exposes some of the flaws within what prospect analysis has become. And look, I love tools. I love focusing on those things when we talk about players. And uh, of, of course, you want to be able to project guys, but sometimes – it just boils down to being able to hit the baseball, right? Like that's the object of baseball is to freaking be able to hit. And he does it and he has done it, like you said, and he's consistent. And look, does he have anything that jumps off the page tools wise? No, but there's been plenty of guys that just hit that are solid prospects on a bigger scale. Jonathan India, obviously he was a, a top five pick, but quickly dissipated a little bit in that regard when we started to see him maybe not produce the power that a lot of people thought, but I was looking at him like this guy walks, he's still hitting. Like, why are we pretending that he's just not going to be a big leaguer and look at what's happened. Lopez, maybe not that kind of uh trajectory quite, but he hits, like you said, he's versatile, which is going to give him a lot of opportunity to get at bats. And also he's playing in a park in Cincinnati where you don't really need to be the biggest power hitter of all time to be able to leave the yard. I, I think he can, still hit 10 home runs there. And if he's hitting for average, he doesn't strike out at all. Like those guys are a rarity in today's game. And I think it's every lineup needs a guy like that. And he's hit at every level. He's hitting a triple A. I think he's going to hit in the bigs. I don't know how good he's going to be, but I think he's a big leaguer. And whether that's a super utility guy or a regular, uh, is there's going to be a lot of pressure on him being able to just hit for a high average and walk. But 
Uh, I think at the very least, you're looking at a, a utility guy that has some value there as a switch hitter and that can play all over and it's going to put the bat on the ball. And th- that guy should be a top 30 prospect. I think yeah. the fact that he's not is, is almost just the, the again, it's it's a microcosm of what's wrong with with prospecting nowadays where it's all about projection and not enough about what you're doing right now, which I get. I get it because at the end of the day, prospect, projection – but still, you, you got to incorporate what's going on right now, and and that's just what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and you know he's been a leadoff hitter for the most, or at least a top two hitter in the order, a switch hitter off the bench who puts the ball in play. His contact putting the ball in play eighty eight percent of the time. That's just a player who, at the very least, is a bench bat. Mike Freeman, Scott Heineman, uh, Mark Paytons of the world. Um, you know, Kyle Farmers, Alex Blandinos, these are players that are below average that could, should easily give replace. It's not like Lopez is 19 years old. He's 25. It's time for him to get a shot. Now, the Reds do have a leadoff hitter, and you've already talked about him. Some Jonathan India. What were your thoughts on India? Personally, I was never higher on India. I thought he had a big college year as junior year, was selected too high, the Reds don't develop players nearly as well as other systems. He kind of struggled in the minors. I mean, we got called up this year. I thought, okay, why not? And I was never high on him. Now he's one of my favorite players. He has speed. He walks. I mean, he's gotten better, drastically better each month. And I I, I don't really know what his ceiling is. What What do you think his ceiling is? And, and how do you project him going forward? Yeah, you know, I think he's a guy that he's never going to be a superstar, but I think he's a really solid above average regular. I really thought people were too harsh on him when um, I I would say right around 2019 when he just wasn't hitting for much power. And as a third baseman, you obviously have to be able to hit for some more power and people just were fading him out. And I did before the season, I did my top five third baseman prospects. And I know he's not playing third anymore really that much, but I had him in the top five and I, I, I had some other guys out and I know I caught some flack for it. Uh, but the reason why I had him in there is because I always thought he was a super high floor guy uh, and that he's a, a guarantee. He was always a guarantee to me to be a big leaguer. I've been impressed even beyond that uh, about what he's been able to do. I think he has been much better than anybody could have imagined right out of the gate. It was aggressive to call him up. I think it was the right move though. He showed it. Everything I heard at the alternate training site uh, from people that had seen him had said that he he was just standing out, but I just did not think it would be like this uh, for him to get called up like this. But you've said, like you said, he's been better and better. He's always going to walk a lot. He keeps the strikeouts in check and he's been able to sneak some more power in there. The athleticism plays. And I think when he's not playing third base as much, and now that he's able to move around the diamond a bit more, you know, if that's a guy that's not playing third in the future, maybe playing more second base or some other spots, then uh, you might get a little bit of pressure taken off of that bat because at second base, you don't have to hit 20 home runs. Uh, And I think we're seeing more of a second base profile from him and he's fitting that profile really well. I think he's a really good above average second baseman. And his ceiling could be a couple all-star appearances if he really just can can hit enough. Yeah, and I agree. It was an aggressive move. I never imagined the Reds to be the type of team to call up a prospect. But we saw it, we saw it in 2020. We saw right. it in 2020. Jose Garcia, Jose Barrero now, um, was called up way too early, which is fine. 
at that time, the Reds had zero shortstop. It was Freddie Galvis struggling. They needed something, and they brought up their top shortstop prospect, a move that they never did, and he struggled. Well, he's in double A now, and he's hitting well, and he's, you know, looking like the prospect he's supposed to be. He's hitting over 300. He's hitting for power. He's batting third in the lineup. Um, but what, what what are your thoughts on Jose Garcia or H- Jose Barrera now? Clay, what about what, – I mean, if you go back further before before you answer that, Aaron, um, what, what if you talk about the fact that like a couple years ago with Nick Senzel, they refused to bring him up at the beginning of the season just to make sure that they had that extra time, the player time, and not have to sign him uh, you know, that extra year. So, so they gave themselves that extra grace year. So they instead, with India, they went against the grain of anything they traditionally do in starting a guy right off from the beginning of the season and surprised the hell, honestly, out of everyone by doing it. Or they knew that Sinzel is made out of glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and before I answer that question, too, I really have a, a problem or I really struggle sometimes to figure out what the Reds are. Are, are they a team that's going for it or are they a team – that's that's trying to build for the future. Uh, w- can you answer that before I answer the other question? We ask ourselves this every, every single day. night. And it what, what it boils down to is the owner's not willing to commit either. And the last rebuild was a complete disaster. They traded Jay Bruce way too late. All their trades were too late. Brandon Phillips too late. Everybody was hey, too late. And I mean, it, if, any, yeah, if anybody knows, I mean, it's no secret. The prospect pool is pitcher heavy right now. We we don't have much offense, which makes the Leo Lopez thing even more obvious to bring him up. I mean, the bats, the Triple A team, they don't have any prospects right now until they got Lopez. They don't have anything. Double A has a few. I watch you know almost every single night at all levels, and it's pretty bad. And all of the kind of recent draftees are all in low A, which you you know, that they don't have the streams for. Um, and I do want to touch on some of those prospects. But, yeah, I mean, bottom line is, you know, the Reds have kind of screwed up a rebuild, and now they're in the position of what are we? Yeah, I, and that's what I always try to figure out is, you know, are they are they going to trade Sonny Gray? Are they going to trade some of those other guys? Or are they going to go for it? Because I think the team is incredibly talented. And if you're trying to win now – then that, those are the moves you make. You call up your prospects that they can help you now. And I think that's last year, the Reds definitely going into the year felt like they could do something. And that's why we saw them go so aggressive with Barrero. But I thought that was a bit of a crazy move. Um, it, it's, And people may disagree with this, but I think, and it depends prospect to prospect, but I think if you call a guy up that isn't ready, but you really force it from high A ball, you can really throw them off and throw them out of their momentum. And we saw it with the Padres. They did it with their catcher, Luis Camposano, who's one of my favorite prospects. They force him up and they needed a catcher. I get it, but they force him up. He was just getting bullied out there and they're putting him in there like pinch hit ninth inning. You're facing a closer and just getting carved up. And then he goes back down to triple a and he's pressing because when you're in the bigs, you're just trying to do anything you can to stay afloat. You're doing anything you can. You will sacrifice all of your mechanics just to be able to try to put the bat on the ball because you're in the bigs. You just want to stay there. And you can develop some bad habits when you're that overmatched. I think that's exactly what we saw with Barrero. But but the other thing about him that I have really been impressed with, because before I thought he had a really inconsistent 
lower half. His body control wasn't great at the plate. If you notice, he changed his his trigger, his timing mechanism. He's actually incorporated more of a leg kick. Sometimes that makes things more difficult. Uh, he's able to time it up well, and it's, it's keeping his weight back more. And I think we're really seeing how much more power he has because he is a toolsy, toolsy guy. I mean, he has the potential to be one of the better athletes on the field every time he gets on the field. Uh, but he just was not allowing himself to tap into that power. And we're really seeing him do it now. I would want to see him do it in the minor leagues a little bit longer before he gets called up, especially since he made a mechanical change at the plate and you really want to reinforce that. But I would be really encouraged about what what you're seeing from him. And and I think that there should be some optimism that he can continue to maintain that up until the big, up until the big leagues. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing I've noticed with him, when I was at the alternate site, he struck out, I mean, I went to four games, he struck out almost every single time and his swing looked terrible. Wasn't following through. I mean, he looked lost. He goes down to double A and I think that there's pressure on him then, you know, you you're at this site where all eyes are on you and, now he's in double-A where he belongs. He's 21 years old. He belongs in double-A. And he's, you know, gaining that confidence back. His strikeouts have gone down, and he's not swinging at pitches that are, you know, way out of the zone like he has in the past. Um, now, Chattanooga, when they started this year, the lookouts had some awesome prospect power on that team, headlined by Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green. My main question, and this is a back and forth between everyone. I know how you are on Ladella, and I'd lo- I definitely want to hear what you have to say about him. But I want you to touch on Hunter Green and also which one of those two do you think has a brighter future? Mm. Oh, man, that's a tough question. Million-dollar um, question. Oh, yeah, $100 million question, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, for real. Not from the Reds. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> But, That's uh, true the Marlins either, though. <laughs> no, 100% <laughs> no. fact. No. Um, Dan Straley trades the Red Sox, Nick Lodolo, or future Dodger Hunter Green. Who has the brighter future? <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, you know, I, I've had a, I had a chance. I've obviously watched a ton of both of them. And I. it's one thing to watch them. It's another thing to physically face them. And – I wanted to see if what my takeaways were kind of matched up. And I talked to a couple buddies that faced them this year. Um, and I said, you know, wh- wh- who is the tougher face, matchup? Face both or face one? Face both. Okay. And cool. talk to some, and that sucks. Could you imagine you have a three game series and you got to go with Dolo, then Hunter green. It's terrible. He, they said that their entire team felt like Nick Lodolo was one of those at bats that you just almost can't even be ready for. Uh, the way he's able to locate, the way his stuff moves, even his fastball is so heavy with sync. The breaking ball is developed so well. He spots up incredibly well. Hunter Green, they they all had the, the same reaction that you would imagine. Yeah, it's it's fast as hell, but he needs another pitch. Because right now, you're able to kind of sit, and you're guessing two speeds. And if you guess fastball and you connect, it's gone. And that's his problem right now is that – there's a 50-50 shot someone's going to guess the right pitch. And if they do, it's gone. And it can flatten out at times. And I think that's what we're seeing him struggle with. He gave up three solo shots, I believe, or three homers in that first inning in AAA. But then he settles in and gets the guys out, You know, goes four smooth innings after that. That's going to be an issue for him. He's always, He could be a solid pitcher right now, I think, at the highest level. But he would also have a lot of susceptibility to home runs until he adds that distinct third speed. He's going to be susceptible to home runs. 
Uh, I think anytime you're an athlete like Hunter Green is, and I mean, we know how highly touted this kid was, and he still has every ounce of that potential. You've got to say he has the higher ceiling. But if you're asking me who has the better chance to achieve their highest potential, I'm going to say it's Nick Lodolo because he's already getting there. Uh, I think Nick Lodolo should be called up pretty damn soon. I don't know what else he needs to show. Uh, he's throwing strikes. His stuff has been getting better and better. The velo's up. I- I'm wowed by him every time I watch him pitch. And Lodolo may not have that potential to be a top 20 pitcher in the game, whereas Hunter Green theoretically could be uh, one of the best in the game if you're throwing 103 and spotting it up, if he incorporates two other pitches. But I'm going to say Lodolo, if I'm gun to my head, I'm, I'm going to have to side with him to have the, the better career just because I think there's a better chance that he taps into everything he has. But that's not a slight of Hunter Green by any means. It's more so of a thumbs up to Nick Lodolo. Yeah, and the the other thing that a lot of Reds fans struggle with reminding themselves is that Lodello was a college pitcher. As you know, these guys come in a little bit more advanced. When you face college hitters, you are facing a higher level than Green had ever faced. Green had the injury. He's younger. I think Lodello's closer to the big leagues. Now, of course, the 103 – that Green's throwing will get every fan's eyes just huge. And, okay, bring him up, put him in the bullpen. Now, I am I could see, you know, if the Reds were in a position in September where they need wins, they could do kind of like the Rays did with David Price, put him in the bullpen. Personally, I don't like that. Um, I feel like a lot of players and prospects that go to the bullpen struggle to return to the rotation. I, I just wanted to hear what you had to think about, you know, players going from the rotation to the bullpen um, in terms of the first call-up and and what, what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's very situational. Uh, when you have a chance to maybe develop somebody like Josh Hader, and when Josh Hader was a prospect, you know, people wanted him to be a starter. It worked out. But is everybody going to turn out like Josh Hader? No. I think the White Sox with Garrett Crochet – Look, he's a good reliever, but you, you just took that guy in the first half of the first round, and right. you're already just going to pigeonhole him into being a reliever. And like you said, now he's just stuck there. I don't really see them moving him from reliever anytime soon. He just throws fastballs. I, I really think you take your time with Hunter Green, and you really develop him. And then if it doesn't work out, then you go on the fallback. You know that you can fall back on him being a reliever, and he will be a damn freaking good reliever. Uh, and that's how it'll work. But I think the command's already been better uh, than we may have thought it would be after such a long layoff. And as you mentioned, yes, he was drafted 50 years ago, it feels like. But in terms of innings under his belt, he doesn't have that many. And he just needs innings. He needs to be able to just throw that change up, throw those secondary pitches where, yeah, if you give up a five spot, who cares? It's the minor leagues. And just work through it. But I do have some of those reservations of – you know, being in Cincinnati, uh, where the ball will get out of there pretty damn easily, uh, if you're not locating and you're leaning on that fastball heavily, you know, Hunter Green as a guy that's susceptible to the long ball, getting called up is not going to be the best thing for that. So he really needs to work on the pitchability. I still think he's going to be a star, and uh, I just think they need to take their time a little bit with him. And Lodolo, as you said, the college guy, that's the guy you can rush to the big leagues if you really want to try to make a push. So, you know, you talk about, the guys who had been pigeonholed and it's hard not to think of a world as Chapman being, you know, first and Absolutely. foremost as the Reds saw him go from being a guy who was supposed to be a starter when he got here. And then all of a sudden he got thrown into the bullpen and 
didn't even want to be a starter after that. He's like, no, this, this is for me. I'm, I'm going to do one inning and I'm going to go drive my car 104 miles an hour, the same speed that I'm pitching out here. We're all good. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there as far as that goes. But I did kind of wonder, as you've seen both Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo pitching, do you have any comparisons as to who they may kind of relate to when they get up here as fans? You know, just you've seen them actually doing things. We're only seeing the, the, the clips that are showing up for 15 seconds on Twitter and what have you, unless you really do a deep dive. So I didn't know if you had like a comparison for people to kind of see, like, are we talking like Greg Maddox kind of crafty or Bronson Arroyo kind of crafty with Lodolo? <laughs> are we talking a Roldis Chapman just because he's hitting the 104 and then maybe he develops that slider? What are we looking at with these two guys? That's a great question. I love the comps too. Those are so much fun for me. Lodolo, I like the thing for me with Lodolo is it's it's shifted because he's throwing harder now. And now I'm looking at him throwing in the mid 90s and it's different. I would have been thinking, okay, maybe more of a Max Freed type would have been more of my potential comp for him. Uh, but now I'll I look at him as a, as a heavy fastball that's hard with sink and there's not that many guys that do what Lodolo does. I, I'm pretty sure even even Fangraph says like pitchers like Lodolo are are in vogue. Like the the way that like what he does is not really widely taught because it's not, not really teachable uh, to teach a lefty to throw mid 90s with sink and then work a slider off of that like or a breaking ball off of that. It doesn't really work. Like you can't really just show guys that. Uh, and he is he's unique. He's really really unique. Uh, I don't even know who I would compare him to with Hunter green. Uh, I, I think he can be any right-handed flamethrower you want him to be. Uh, but it's, it's up to him on how he wants to utilize those secondaries. You know, I think the thing that makes Degrom so incredible is that he can spot it, that fastball so well, but also that you have to be wary of that fastball and then he's going to throw you that slider that looks like the fastball until the last 20 feet, and then you're screwed. So that that's the kind of thing where if he's able to develop, if Hunter Green can develop those secondaries and that fastball can play up even more, you can compare him to any superstar righty, and I wouldn't call you crazy. Uh, and, and that's where I'm really eager to see more of Hunter Green so I can get a more accurate comp on him. But – I'm going to think about that in the back of my head as we continue to record. And then in the last two <laughs> minutes, I'm just going to scream a random comp at yeah. you. Um, but, but I, I do love that question. Well, you now, mentioned I do have a funny Chapman story to share. I, I think I may have told this on the podcast, but I have to get this off while it's fresh from my head. So when I was younger, I, uh, my best friend's dad owned the Louisville bats. So we were do batting practice with the bats all the time. And, it was really cool, but Chapman, when he got called up to the bats, we were all at the stadium. We spent all day there, and a huge delivery truck truck pulled up and said there was a delivery for Chapman, and it was a Lamborghini. And the next morning, the Lamborghini was still in the parking lot, and we asked my buddy's dad, um, you know, what is going on with this Lamborghini? And he said Chapman ordered the Lamborghini without knowing how to drive stick. And he couldn't drive it out of the parking lot. So it just sat there until his cousin came who could drive stick and drive it home for him. Like, that's yeah. the type of guy he was, man. He just spent that money like crazy. Yeah, so my he brother. He also smoked like two, two packs of Marlboro Reds a day. 
So my brother no must have known his yeah. cousin because uh, <sighs> my brother knew a guy who would just drive that drive that car for him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's smoked two packs of Marlboro Reds a day and still could outrun everybody on the Reds team when he was here. I love that. Matt, that's expensive too. Two packs <laughs> yeah. of Marlboro Reds. The, hey, Kentucky, the Kentucky side of the river is cheaper. I, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's the definition of, of just, just, just impulsive spending, right? To get a car you don't even know how to drive. Uh, I also, how does he fit in that thing? That's a great I don't question. think he put much thought into the purchase. <laughs> well, he was, I mean, he was a Cuban, like, who came over. And, I mean, there's no map for what you're doing once you're in the States coming from Cuba like that. Like, as, as a, more or less a refugee. Um, yeah, it's it's a big it's a big, it's a big shock, you know, just the, the, the different culture. I mean, my 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 grandfather is Cuban, and uh, coming over for him, he tells me so many funny stories about just the transition into just American lifestyle and stuff like that. So, and people don't think about that with the players too. You know that that is a big adjustment as well, especially when you're someone like Chapman, who everybody's just looking at you like you're going to save their franchise. And no, you are still just trying to figure out. Lap. Yeah, and you're trying to figure out why Americans do all the weird things that they do, um, and and like you know that's the kind of thing that I don't think people realize. It's like why isn't this guy coming from Cuba and slotting right in and being a star right away? Uh, and when they do, it's like the most incredible thing ever. And I have a distinct memory of Chapman when I was I went to a game in Miami and just watching him throw. I had never seen anything like that before. Um, you know, just a lefty throwing 103 at that time. I, I think that was when he hit 103.5 or whatever, and it was like the the fastest pitch that we'd seen in X amount of time or ever. Uh, ever. Yeah, ever. And I was just thinking, like, when they must have saw this guy in the backfields for the first time in Cuba, wherever he was playing, the scouts must have just sprinted straight to, to wherever they could get service and just say like, holy shit, I found the guy and and make it happen and throw as much money at, at him as you can. You have to go take a cold shower after that for sure. Like there's there's no way you see something like that and don't just get in completely overly excited. All right, Ed, um, what is it? What are we looking at, Ed? I don't know if it's working. There it is. Chat what are we ball? looking at? Autograph Chapman, Chapman ball. ball and oh, it just fell over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I do damn. have a couple of, of other prospects that I wanted to to hear thoughts on. These are a few guys that are in the lower levels who are recently drafted, and right now, Reds fans. I mean, we don't have anything in tr in AAA. Um, Double A's. You know, not much, but these players, you know, everyone has their eye on, but we don't get to watch them because, you know, the Daytona Tortugas do not have their game streamed. So just a few names, um, Michael Ciani, Tyler Callahan, Reese Hines, Michael Triana, and Austin Hendrick. Do you know much about any of those players? I, I know Hendrick was a first-round draft pick. Reese Hines was a – should have been a first-round draft pick, but er, early second round. Um, same with Tyler Callahan and Michael Ciani as well. Uh, yeah, I, I I got a bit on each of them. I'll start with with my guy Austin Hendrick. Um, Hendrick is somebody, and I always preach this on all prospects, but 
Hendrick more than anybody, I would preach patience. And I know it's like, oh, I don't want to be told to be patient. And the reason why you got to be patient on Austin Hendrick is he's a guy from Pennsylvania. We're talking about competition. His high school competition was terrible. We don't like um, Pennsylvania either. Yeah. Yeah. We don't like Pennsylvania either. And then, so their high school team suck. There you go. And his competition wasn't great. Uh, didn't play too much in the summer circuit. And why he was drafted is that he has some of the most explosive bat speed I've ever seen from a high schooler in a draft since I've been keeping up with this. And uh, the amount of torque and rotational power he's able to generate is 40 home run type stuff. The problem is we don't know how much he can hit, you know, how, how consistently he can make contact. I think he's going to figure it out. Anytime you have that kind of bat speed, you have more time to make decisions and you have more time to be able to pick up, you know, what the ball is looking like and whether you're going to pull the trigger or not. And I think it's going to take him some time because not only is he jumping from high school to pro, he's jumping from like low end high school to pro. So I, I just think you're going to have to wait a year or two for him to really even start to be holding his own. But he is absolutely explosive. On the flip side of it, I think Tyler Callahan is as advanced of a prospect as the Reds have in the system in terms of just approach and hit tool at the plate. I, I think he's another one of those guys, super high probability big leaguer. I love his swing. Uh, I think he's got a really smooth swing from the left side, has sneaky power that I don't think he has really tapped into yet, and I think he'll start to. And I, I like his ability to drive the ball to all fields. I, I think Callahan is is one of the more underrated prospects, not only in the system, but in baseball. And I, I think, you know, the, the lack of athleticism in defense holds him back a little bit. But in terms of the bat, it absolutely plays. And I think he's got a big league swing. Uh, and, and if he's playing second base, who cares? And then Tiani, I also think has a smooth swing from the left side. He's a freak athlete. You almost wish you could combine these guys, right? Uh, he, he's a freak athlete. And he doesn't even have to hit that well because he's a phenomenal defender in the outfield. And he is going to be able to get on base just because he's got good bats of ball skills and he's really, really, really damn fast. So I really think that if you're going to look at those guys, Reese Hines is another one where it's like some of the top of top of the shelf power, but you don't know if that guy's going to hit. And he's got a lot more swing and miss concern in my opinion, than like a guy like Austin Hendrick, but he's also still somebody where the sky's the limit if he can tap into it. And I, I think I see a lot of Bobby Dalbeck in Reese Hines um, for better and for worse. But if you get that outcome from Reese Hines, I don't know if that's the worst thing in the world. Uh, Austin Hendrick, his bat speed, who would I compare it to? <sighs> that's a good question. I, I it, it reminds me a little bit of, ironically, Jesus Sanchez, um, who I know is not a household name. But if hey, you look uh, up, I, I said we couldn't talk about it. I said we oh, could yeah, talk yeah, about I can't, it. I can't, I can't, I, you put his name in my mind. So hey, I'm a big Sanchez fan as well. Uh, Jose Ramirez as well in terms of just that explosive whippy bat speed that it almost looks like he's going to pop his shoulder out with his swing because he's so explosive. It, that's what I see from Austin Hendricks, and I, I, I do like him. I, I think he's going to figure it out, and I, I think he was a steal. Um, but, you know, you just have to be patient with somebody like that. Uh, and then, yeah, I think Callahan, though, to, to fully answer it, might be my highest floor guy in, in the whole system that's left. Um, and I, I think he's got still more of a ceiling than some of the other prospects that get neglected. So 
you talk about some of the the guys and and what have you that are down there. Now tonight we saw a guy that people wanted to see pitch in San Martin, and San Martin. I don't know if you know this or not, but he was ejected from the game tonight for having a substance that appeared to be what on his glove or his hat, Clay. It was on his head. It was in like the third inning. He came in after Jeff Hoffman pitched in a rehab assignment. And uh, I'm not sure if you know much about San Martin. He was acquired in the Sonny Gray trade from the Yankees as well. And he's a lefty. And he had something on his head. They, it was really strange, though. They didn't eject him like on the field. They took his head, took it into the locker room, and then he never came back out. And I just got a, a message from one of the players' mom saying that her son talked to him, and it is a 10-game suspension as well, so, just like the first or, or, or MLB. My question isn't necessarily about San Martin for you. Um, my, my question is more, what are your thoughts on the hell is baseball doing right now? Because I feel like this is a microcosm of the problems that baseball is having. It's not about just the stuff on the hat. It's the fact that Man. people who want to watch the goddamn game can't find it anywhere like, if you pay for a package, you're hit with these blackout rules, even if you're three states away sometimes. Like, it doesn't make they They've made their product impossible to follow, first and foremost. That's, I think, the first problem. But now you have this, we let them, we let them go. We had, you know, pitchers having, you could see the stuff on their hats, on their gloves, on their jerseys, where, on their hands and arms. We got guys wearing suntan lotion in domes and, and night games. Like they let this go for so long and now you just want to crack down on everything. I understand like it's been enough for entirely too long, but I feel like you could have figured out a way to come down maybe a little easier than go completely cold Turkey. I don't know, but I just feel like there's so many problems right now with all of baseball. And again, those are just naming two of the problems, not even getting started on commissioner Manfred himself, Um. but yeah, you're a Marlins fan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the entire sale of the Marlins, for God's sake, that was a travesty in and of itself. Washington. Not even bringing up the stadium, but <laughs> I listened to entirely too much Dan Lebitard. But that all said, <laughs> um, you know what? What are your your thoughts and ideas on what the hell is going on in baseball right now? Hey, real quick. Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm really glad you brought this up, and honestly, it, it's a big reason why I wanted to to launch this website as well, is because. For me, I just think baseball in general is, is not very accessible. Um, but I still think there's a lot of people that want to watch. You know, when people, when honestly, ratings are up, which is shocking to me. Uh, Sunday yeah. Night Baseball is the highest it's been since 2017. Uh, there's a lot of really good numbers all around baseball. And I really think that it's mostly that it's one, inaccessible, and two, just because kids aren't sitting down for three hours to watch an entire broadcast doesn't mean they don't care about baseball. Right? Because you take the fun out of the game. Like exactly, you got, you got people. The red Joey Votto got. I mean, Joey Votto probably should have been suspended for a game. But you know, Nick Cassiano's the getting Cassiano stuff was ridiculous. Absolutely five ridiculous. games. So because and again, you got to figure out, and that's within the players too, right? Players need to figure out what they want also, because all of the players say we want to have fun. Let's have fun. Let the kids do what they want to do. But then. Cassianos does something like that or he pimps a home run and you put one in his ribs. Well, I thought we were cool with pimping home runs. Uh, or is it just not cool when it happens to you? 
Uh, and I know they said, oh, it was an accident. Dude, they put that ball right in his ribs. Yeah. If somebody flexes on me like Castellanos said, yeah, I'll, I'll get up and, and and fight back a little bit. I mean, that's that's sure. like ultimate disrespect. But he did that because he got one in the ribs. And he's still adrenaline pumping because he just got 95 in the freaking ribs. But why did he get 95 in the ribs? Because he pimped a home run. I thought we were supposed to be cool with that. So I think that's part of it. But also, when I go back to just accessibility of baseball, that was something for me where I was like, okay, baseball isn't accessible, but people still care enough to want to read about it. Even if you're not a diehard fan, if you want to keep up, if there's quick, fun, digestible articles, we, we like incorporated video a lot into the website as well. Cause I was like, I want to give people quick highlights, quick clips, just so they can feel like they're in the loop without having to sit down for four hours. So that was a big reason why I did the website. And I want to grow the game because it's something that's been a huge thing for me since I was a kid. But all of these things that we see are so frustrating because it seems like uh, it's not the same for Rob Manfred, who obviously is somebody that uh, is in the back pocket of every owner, right? I mean, that's what he's there for. That's what he has done his whole life. And uh, that's who he's always represented even before he was a commissioner. And he represented the owners uh, the last time we had a strike. So when, when you think about that, it, it makes it difficult too. And I get it. It's a business and, and that that is what it is. Uh, but baseball has a weird habit of getting in its own way. And yeah, sure. when I look at the sticky substance situation, so I'm going to start hosting a show next week, part of the, part of the site uh, with Jeff Conine, Red's legend. I believe nice. he was a Red for like half a year. Um, and so Jeff, <laughs> Mr. Jeff, yeah, Mr. Marlin. So Jeff, I played ball with his son and uh, his son is like my best friend and he's in the Marlins org right now, actually. Now have you um, met Jeff's and, dad? Because I hear he's a, a man of a man. What Jeff Conan's dad? Yes. Tough dude. He, he's a tough dude, but uh, yeah, he, he's awesome. But you know, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is a great baseball mind. I was just on the phone with him today and we were just talking about this. And what he was saying was he, he feels like, it was one of those things that baseball allowed the players to police it itself. He said nobody really even talked about it when he was playing. Like they knew it was going on, but hitters and pitchers wouldn't even, they just pretend it wasn't happening. But what would happen is, is as we got to the spin rate revolution, as I like to call it, where Rap Soto comes in and all of these machines that tell you how to optimize your pitches, how to make your pitches move more, how to make your fastball look like it's rising, and all that you want are these spin rates. Velocity is not even as important as spin rate. Then you find out that these sticky substances can give you that desired spin rate and then some. Now, all of a sudden, you're utilizing these substances and pushing the boundaries of what is okay. And that's where we got to where we're at today. I'm actually okay with banning it. I, I am because my issue was that we're starting to go to all these extremes potentially to get offense back in the game. Like they were floating, moving the freaking mound back. Are you kidding me? That's the worst I, idea. Th that was the worst idea I've ever heard. How about instead of doing any of that crazy stuff, we just enforce rules. So what they're doing is they're enforcing the rules. You can't have spider tack and just be able to get on top of a curveball like no human being should ever be capable of. And you got to pitch. My problem is I don't think they should have done it in the middle of the year, but that's baseball just always trying to fly by the seat of their pants. At the same time, I don't know why pitchers act like baseballs are the like most slippery object in the world. <laughs> they act like they're, they're pitching with bars of soap. And I think they can figure it out with rosin and some dirt. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that baseball does a really bad job of being proactive. It's always reactive. And I think this is just the latest example. Looks like Joe Girardi was just ejected because Max 
uh, Scherzer was asked multiple times to be tested for um, sticky substance Substance. on the mound. It's going to be a show for the umpires, too. That's the problem. You're going to have Joe West making it the Joe West show, and he's going to want to make it this, this whole thing. And that's where it's it's frustrating, too, because we talk about slowing the game down. Well, how about checking a guy's belt and hat and everything every five minutes? That'll slow the game down a little bit. But good thing we sped it up by half a second with the, you know, the clock that nobody enforces. It's like you wonder just how they come to make those decisions and and who's advising. But hopefully my man, uh, Theo Epstein. We'll, we'll, we'll talk some sense into MLB's uh, decision makers over there. So you brought up this uh, potential strike or, or you, well, you brought up the, the previous strike and the player's agreement is coming up here. The renegotiations are coming up here in the next, I think, year. And so everyone's thinking there's another looming strike coming. And with the way that things have been going, with the just the way that basically baseball has completely shit on all of minor league baseball in general with just axing teams without really any notice. Uh, I know there was a pandemic and owners are crying poor, even though everyone finished in the green last year. Don't worry. I've done my research there, especially with our owner here. Uh, But you know, it's, do you see a strike coming? Do you think it's imminent the way that a lot of the talking heads are talking about? And if so, what do you think are going to be the biggest pushes that, maybe you see some of the players trying to go for, especially with your situation of knowing, A, uh, uh, obviously a bunch of minor league guys, and B, having been a a former player yourself, what would you want? Yeah, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me, and this is a story I've been working on right now in, in the background, minor leaguers they are just living brutal lives. And we we know that that the pay isn't great. But I don't think people realize no, Wes. Wes, they make about like 12, n- 12 nine to twelve for some of them. Yeah, but they only get paid during the season. So they only oh get paid God. during the season. But also, listen to this: you're going to be shocked. So they are not provided housing. Uh, generally, they are provided to host families. But with COVID, especially this year, there's no host families, oh. and. What they're being stuck doing right now is I've talked to several players. One of them is staying at a micro hotel, and you got to they they have to pay for the hotel themselves too. So you're making twelve hundred or whatever a month. You got to pay for the hotel, so subtract that. Um, he's trying to cook his food on hot plates uh, in, in the hotel, which just doesn't work. So he has to Uber Eats. That comes out of your thirteen fourteen hundred dollar paycheck, and you're sleeping a lot of these guys are sleeping four or five dudes in a living room uh and just splitting the rent that way uh and then you're supposed to go out there and compete and make your way to the big leagues uh, i've talked to guys that slept in the, in the locker room in the in the clubhouse sometimes and that is just something to me that it, i know they're not major leaguers but you're a professional athlete okay i understand maybe you can't pay them 70 80,000 a year maybe you can't do that but no, there's only can. one organ and I know they can, but you, you have one organization in all of baseball right now that is providing furnished housing to their players. You know who the it Astros, is? Astros, right? The Houston Astros. So say what you want about the Houston Astros, but they're the only team that isn't leaving their players out to dry right now. And I will not, now I'm not going to go to bat for the Astros, but I'll say that 
they are not the Yankees. They're they're a big team, but they're not they, the Yankees. And they're they had to do something to save face, right? I heard they. Yeah. I heard they have free garbage pickup too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they take off of that. I, I was talking off. to players mom and she was telling me that you know her son's roommates all got called up and they no longer can split the rent and he now has to work to try to find new roommates and you know, on top of all that one of the other players got cut on a road trip and the team did not provide transportation for the person back home they just you're, you're no longer on the team we're not going to play you know pay for your plane or bus ticket or whatever it may be and that person had to provide their own transportation after getting, you know, hey, here, we're going to cut you. You no longer have an income, by the way. You don't have a way home. And, and think about this. So you have to prepare to face Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green. But you're worried about finding a freaking sublet for your apartment so that you don't go broke. Like, just think about how insane that is. And you have to wonder how many people had to give up their dream just to be able to make a livable wage. And again, I think people will say like, oh, who cares? It's a privilege or whatever. But these guys have invested their whole life into this. Yeah. And it's just not fair. I wrote a story also um, on a guy that he graduated from Duke, was a 20th round pick, Jack Lebowski. And he's like, I'm, I don't have any money because uh, I only got a $20,000 signing bonus. And I have student loan debt because I went to Duke and you don't get full scholarships for college baseball. And so he knew that the money was going to be tight. So he bought a school bus for $2,000 and he turned it into an RV and he was living in a school bus that he turned into an RV. Hell yeah. That's living the life. Yeah. I do that shit. Did that. Order me a purple mattress and just tear out all the seats and. Do not give Ed any ideas. It's right called now. a schoolie, yeah. Ed. I'm going to find Ed's one right now. Ed's family needs a home, not a school Ed. bus. Ed, there's groups. They're called schoolies. We can't, I can't insure it. Um, Your wife would leave you, first and foremost. I know her very well, and she would leave you. Second, yeah. uh, do you remember Miss Cornette from middle school? Yes. Yeah, my next-door neighbor when we were kids growing up. Okay. Uh, they had a bus parked in the driveway next to my house all the time. It was a big greyhound. They did the same exact thing. They turned it into a camper and they toured the a country. Greyhound? Yeah, they took. They got. They got a greyhound. Hell yeah! That's that. That's two, a big move. Two bedrooms. <laughs> My two bedroom car. Wild. Hell yeah! Yeah. That, One that, thing, maybe that's what you need to do for minor leaguers. Just buses for minor leaguers to live. Tiny houses. I mean, you could build a tiny house. You could build a tiny house for like what 50, 50 grand. Just build yeah. a bunch of tiny houses, have a lot where they plug in and what have you, and who cares? Like the, the easiest thing is for every MLB team to buy a dorm or a hotel or something and just purchase that and just have that as the living quarters. I mean, that would be a one-time investment. And we talked about the Astros, what they did. They're smart. They realize if they invest a couple of million of dollars to better the lives, these players are getting fed better. They're having, you know, better sleep, and they're realizing if one out of every 40 players hits because of this, you know, I mean, that that in itself pays for it. I mean, they, it's unbelievable that teams are not doing this. Um, I did want to ask you a question because you were a player recently. Um, one thing about the shift, I know everyone's complaining about the shift, and a lot of people want to ban it, and it's cutting down on baseball's entertainment. 
I have this theory that the shift will it's going through a phase. Jay Bruce, his career ended because of the shift. Not a lot of players were brought up during the shift era that are playing right now. So my theory is that a lot of players, you know, 20 and 22 years old and younger grew up in an era that maybe they were get, getting shifted in high school or college to the point that maybe the players now that are younger will grow up in an era that they can adapt better to the shift. And we haven't seen that in the MLB yet because they haven't reached the MLB yet. Did, did you get shifted much or did your team ever get shifted in high school or do you know about colleges sh shifting much? It's it's it, in, in high school. It's, it's pretty rare. Um, but with Griffin Conine, um, he got shifted uh, a lot. He, he's a big time power hitter uh, right now. He just actually hit his uh, 12th home run of the year already off of uh, Ace Lacy tonight. Um, really? Yeah, he's, he's been killing it. So he, he's doing great right now for the Marlins in high A and he's a big left-handed hitter and he gets shifted hard. I was a, uh, so like a switch hitter that if, if that sometimes when I would hit from the left side, they would shift over to the left and I would love it. I would love it because for me, it's like, I'm not a big power hitter. And all I had to do was get on top of the baseball and slap it the other way. I would pray that they would shift me personally. But I also understand how, when you get to the higher levels, the pitcher controls the game, the pitcher controls the ball. So if you are getting shifted and they are pounding you inside, 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 inside. It is really hard to beat that shift. You either got to go over it or you have to just try to go right through it. And that's where it gets difficult. Um, I had a chance to talk to Anthony Rizzo about this because he was a guy that got shifted really hard and still gets shifted really hard. And he said, I got to the point where I was just trying to hit over it, which means like home run, or I would just try so hard with two strikes that I'd end up like popping up. And so he was just working on just getting on top of baseballs and, and smacking them the other way. And you see how much Anthony Rizzo chokes up on the bat. But I think with the shift, I think it's ultimately going to get banned just because baseball is looking for all of those ways to be able to make it a better on hitters. I think if you can't hit through the shift, then that's your problem. I really think that you have to learn. Um, because if you are getting pounded inside and you know that they are trying to make you pull something, then catch that bad boy out front and put it over the wall, right? Like if you are getting shifted, you know how they're going to pitch to you. It's, it's, bunt it's a, a single. It's a clue. Yeah. Bunt, or just bunt bunt. A single the other way. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're, we see some guys do that, but it, it's, it's a stubbornness almost. It's a stubbornness to me that, that hitters don't really want to uh, use it to their advantage. And I've talked to Griffin about this recently because he gets shifted really badly in the minor leagues still, and he doesn't care at all. He says, if I get something middle in, I'll try and put it over the wall. If they miss over the middle, I'll, I'll slap it the other way and I'll inside out it. And so, you know, I, I think for guys, it's, it's just something you've got to figure out. And I would rather them just leave it as is and, and make guys figure it out. But I do get kind of annoyed sometimes seeing these guys move around like every single batter because they, they have so much information nowadays that it is a little ridiculous sometimes. So last night the Reds brought a fifth infielder in with Nick Castellanos coming to play third base during the game that went entirely too late. I'm still struggling. Um, 
but they, they brought in Nick Cassianos as a, as a fifth infielder. So do you think that that's okay as opposed to doing the shift? Would, would you, if you were banning the shift, would you still allow a team to play with five infielders as opposed to just moving everybody over? Like where, where do you draw the line? I guess if you're again, if we're making you the czar of sports as we've been doing for about the last like half hour now, yeah, well, so, so here's my thing too is, and I know you, you compare apples to oranges here, but it's almost like to me saying you can't do certain coverages in football. You you can't blitz more than X amount of guys, right? Like if I'm stacking the box and you want to run the ball and I just keep stacking the box and you keep getting stuffed, it's not like, oh, they keep stuffing me. The running game is done. Football is losing. Uh, the, the running game is no longer relevant in football. We need to change this rule. No, just throw the freaking ball over the top and make them – adjust. Sure. I, that's what I think it should be. I The way I look at it is you have nine fielders besides the pitcher and the catcher. You should be able to do whatever the hell you want with it. If I want all nine of them in center field, I can do that. If I want them all <laughs> huddled up in center field, I can do that. Like, I, I just well, think that, that seven. But personally, that's just what I think. I think that's somewhat of an unpopular take. And I do see that batting average on balls in play has consistently dropped year to year, which is a bit annoying. But again, just just try to try to figure it out. I, I think I don't mind the minor league rules that they've implemented where you can shift within reason. Like you have to still have one or two players on this side of second base. Like I'm okay with that line being drawn. I don't know what the fifth infielder would do to that, but I think that that's an important strategy. I, Joe Madden used to do it in the ninth inning a lot because it's like, okay, fly ball to the outfield, game's over. Right. Why not try and have an infielder here? Like it's strategy. Why not keep it? Uh, I would rather keep it, but if I'm a betting man, I'd say that they're going to ban the shift. I would agree, unfortunately, but yet you can you know play with the ball every year, year in, year out. If you want more offense, if you want less offense, you can. Oh yeah, we can manipulate can... the object that has been used for hundreds of years. But don't you don't tell Pete anybody Alonzo about that. Oh, his, he, that was some crazy. Pete Alonso claimed that they changed the ball depending on the f upcoming free agency. That class. was the worst. That was the dumbest thing I've ever. That was like some some QAnon type of like conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. By the but way, Wander Franco hit a home run. Who did? Wander Franco, the number one prospect. No way. Three run home run. Oh, it's overreaction time, baby. Yeah. Sign him right now to a lifetime. Give him the Tatis deal. Oh, wait, I have some crazy Wander Franco stats I pulled up for the podcast in honor of his debut that I think you guys would really appreciate. So Wander Franco had more multi-hit games, 80 of them in the minor leagues, 80 multi-hit games than he had total strikeouts. Oh my 75 God. total strikeouts, 80 multi-hit games. He Can never struck out three times in a game. He had the same amount of four hit games. He had five of them as he had games with more than one strikeout. If you combine all of those numbers, you have the same number of strikeouts that Suarez has this, this current season. <laughs> yeah. It's not nice. And what, wait, so is Castellanos gone after this year? He's a Man, I hope not. Honestly, he's opting out, right? Oh, he, he has, has to. to. He, ownership doesn't want to do shit for him. So yeah, he's I'm going to go, out. I'm going to go a different way with this conversation. Okay. And this is what I have to say about Castellanos. If Nick Castellanos goes anywhere else and plays in another ballpark, 
because I'm very curious. I haven't actually looked at what the numbers are compared to. Oh, they're bad. The away numbers versus the home numbers, but they're oh, not. Gonna, everyone's going to know they're not going to be the same if he, he comes has two to home runs on the road. If he comes to Petco, if he comes, you know what I mean. Like everyone knew when he came from. At least I knew when he came from Chicago to when he came to Cincinnati. The the hits that he had in Chicago, he would have had a fifty home run season. The season that he had in Detroit slash Chicago that year oh, that yeah. he was in Chicago, he, but he was he, complaining like crazy. His, okay, his, here's the home and away splits. Home he is slashing four twelve, four fifty five, eight sixteen. Away two eighty seven, three forty eight, four oh seven. Home run totals eleven at home, two on the road. Two on the but road. But he has the thing is he's a doubles hitter. He has twelve. That's, oh, yeah, that's the thing. He's a doubles, doubles hitter. on the road and eleven at home. I mean, he's a doubles guy. Nobody pays a doubles hitter. <laughs> yeah, they'll pay him. The thing with the thing that I don't like that all these fans are thinking is if he opts out, he's gone. It's so why would he opt in? Sixteen million, he'll make more than that. That doesn't mean that he can't return, opt out, restructure, new four year deal or whatever he wants, pay him twenty five million a year. What you know, I don't know. All because he opts out does not mean he cannot return. I agree. And and you also have a cheap winker, right? Um that is controllable for, for the next three years. Yep. Um, Three years is our window, really. You have cheap and controllable Jonathan India. You have a a few other guys that are cheap and controllable. Even Sonny Gray, you could trade him theoretically to clear up some of that money, knowing that you can have Nicodolo up eventually Hunter Green. But even Sonny Gray's contract, I think, is pretty, pretty cheap. About about ten or eleven million, I think. Yeah. I don't think I don't think you can keep Wade Miley around for too much longer. So (laughs) I mean, there will be some holes for for pitchers to come up. Is somebody getting moved at the deadline? No. No? They'll they'll make a move that makes you say, oh, they're sellers. And then they'll make a move that makes you say, oh, they're not selling, but they're yeah, not that's, buying. That's, that's, they, don't, they don't make sense to me. I, that, no. I, as we'll as somebody that just talks about the, the game in general, right, and talk about prospects and potential trades and stuff like that. And I know people are like, oh, like, what's the price for Jesse Winker? And I'm like, I don't think the Reds trade Jesse Winker in any world. Yeah. I don't think there's a world. I, I have Yankee fan, like friends that are, oh my God, they're the worst. They think that they can get anybody. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll get Winker. And I'm like, no, how? Why? I mean, he, he's, he's inexpensive. He's a dude and he cries because he's so appreciative of Cincinnati anytime he's interviewed about like what his three home run game meant to him. Yeah, uh, he's he, not going he, anywhere. He cried. In the interview, he cried. I didn't like, see that. He, he's, I mean, of course we do because we're, you know, we're here. Uh, it was his interview with Jim Day, the guy who does the color stuff for Cincinnati, or like the guy who's like in the bullpen doing the, oh yeah, this is what's going on here down in the bullpen. Um, but so do the Reds have a shot this year making the playoffs? Then from the from the insiders' perspective, I think they have a shot only because I think our entire division's garbage. Yep. Yeah. The Cardinals have no starting pitching whatsoever, and they're hurt. They keep losing. They keep playing Paul DeYoung at shortstop. He's trash. The Brewers have no offense but Clay. good pitching, but they're willing to add at the deadline, and that's what I'm afraid of. Clay. The Pirates are the Pirates, um, and the Cubs are the wild card that no one really knows what to do with them. And if they fall a little bit, I mean, they, they have Baez coming up. Chris Bryant, all these players that could move if they were to fall. I don't think that they will. I think that they'll hold on. And actually, I, I think that 
the Cubs will be there at the end in the first place. Um, but I think that the Reds will not be big-time buyers. Um, really, I think the ownership, and I'm not just trying to say this to start conversation, but I think the ownership in a way, the only moves they make is if they start losing to the point that they're not in contention. Wade Miley gone. Sonny Gray could potentially be gone. Um Castellanos, I mean, who knows if he's going to opt out. If they don't plan on re-signing him, then you need to trade him. We know that the farm system isn't amazing. And what is my biggest issue with trade deadline talk is everyone assumes that, you know, the Marlins' number five overall prospect is not the same equivalent trade value as the Reds' number five overall prospect. Yeah, exactly. And that's the issue I see with all these trades. People look at prospects, see, okay, who's the top shortstop Oh, look, the Brewers have a shortstop number eight. Let's just trade for him. Like, that's not the same thing. And people struggle to realize that the top 30 prospects are, A, just a list that someone creates. We've already gone over that. But they don't all carry the same trade value. You can't just assume that – I mean, the Marlins have a good system. But, I mean, the type of trade, you know, um, Asan Diaz is – you know, that's the type of guy that, like, was a pretty decent prospect. And now Thank he's – and, and he's looking for a change of scenery, I'm sure. That's the type of move that the Marlins may make that, you know, the Reds aren't really in a position with anybody besides somebody who I want to talk about, Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel is a top prospect who's struggling, and all signs are pointing to change of scenery for him. I mean, he yeah. can't stay healthy at all. I was never big on Nick Senzel. He, they haven't found a position for him. They moved him to center. Now they're moving him around the infield. Once again, he can't stay healthy. He's blocked at second base by India, who I think is a better player. Tyler Kalan, who we talked about, is a second baseman coming up. Um, you're not going to put him at third. Too too many options there. And in center field, maybe that's where he fits. But if he can't stay healthy and you can't rely on him, he just seems like the type of guy that needs to be moved. And that type of move is a, okay, let's move him to a team that also has a 25-year-old former top prospect that's struggling. And those are the type of moves that I could see the Reds making. Hey, we'll take your prospect that's not painting out for our prospect that's not painting out instead of a high prospect for a proven player. Maybe they make a move where it's, you know, not painting out players and trade those. I'm not sure, but that, that's the move I see them making. I think the Rays Brewers deal is a good reference of something that the that the Reds could do is you know Willie Adamas gets sent over to the Brewers who needed a shortstop really bad and the Rays get two good relievers. Uh, I think that worked really well for both sides. That that's something I could see the Reds doing is yeah like you get the change of scenery with Senzel and maybe it helps you get a bullpen armor. I don't know what the Reds' big weakness is, but every the bullpen, the, the bullpen, bullpen and shortstop. So you you know you trade Senzel you can you can definitely get a bullpen piece for Nick Senzel uh, yeah. I think no no doubt you also have a, a Lorenzen coming back Michael Lorenzen he's coming back you also have T.J. Antone who just came back from injury today doesn't Lorenzen like kind of hit though too like yeah they, he can <laughs> and he plays outfield as well speaking of outfield uh, how are you enjoying the Adam Duvall experience of home run home run strikeout for eight straight weeks home run home run home run. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. <laughs> it's it's by far the most – now, correct me if I'm wrong, he just hit two home runs, or was it three home runs this past weekend, right? He has seven home runs in his last 11 games. Okay, now so that means he's going to go a month of striking out. He already did that. Well, it's so, coming back again. That back. is the Adam Duvall experience. So the crazy thing is, too, is is I've had a chance to, to 
ask him about it. And so is Craig Mish and a few other Marlins writers. And, and he just refuses to acknowledge that it's a thing. Like he just, he pretends it's not real. I like, love that. I don't have a problem. I, I, I respect you all have it. a problem. Yeah. I respect it. But like, he, he, you know, you ask him like, how are you so up and down or whatever? You could phrase it more kindly than that, obviously. And he'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I'm like, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not. That doesn't, I, it's just normal. It's just baseball. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, bro. But he, he, I've never seen someone get so hot in a stretch like that and then so cold. And I don't know what it is for him. I don't know if he like just doesn't sleep some months and then just sleeps other months or like his eyesight goes in and out or – I, I don't I don't even have it's one of those things where it's like you can't even come up with an educated guess. It was Jay Bruce's whole career. <laughs> whole yeah. career. The, the Reds had a lot of those guys, man. A lot of those guys. But Adam you know what's Dunn. been a really pleasant surprise about Duval that I think a lot of people don't know is how good his defense is. That's been yeah. pretty amazing. His playing, defense is um, great. He he played some center field this year. Now when when the Reds acquired yeah. him, that was in a Mike Leak trade, and he was a third baseman. They brought like him in, he, moved him to left. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but did he win a gold glove or was in the running for left field gold glove when you were at the Reds? Yeah, I, uh, I think he was. Yeah, he, he is kind of a sneaky good defender. Him. Now you talk about a trade deadline. That's a guy that's getting moved for sure. Oh, take him. Take him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I, I just can't do it, man. Like, I, I get it. Home runs, great, good. But that's why – I, I like guys that can just put the bat on the ball, man. Like you, you, you got to. That's what's that's what makes Wander Franco so special. Is is he is the antithesis of what we are used to in today's game. And I do believe that we're going to get back to some more bat to ball guys. And I think you I, have to. You have to. Otherwise, the it, Yankees are a living on the example. Shift. The Yankees yeah. are a living example of it, man. Like. You can't just go and say, I'm going to get the best power hitters and put them all in one lineup and see what happens. Like Brian Cashman built a team like I built one on MLB The Show when I was 12. (laughs) He just went biggest name, best player, most power, go. And it doesn't work. DJ LeMahieu was the biggest savior to that team ever over the last year or so. So it's like you need guys that can just put the bat on the ball. And that's why I think Alejo actually may actually be a piece. I, I really think he could be. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how the Reds handle it. But one more detail on him is that he's Rule 5 eligible. So the Reds are going to be forced to do something anyways, which is good. And this is why this right here is a perfect example why the Rule 5 draft is great is because either he's going to get an opportunity elsewhere, which as we talked about, the minor leagues suck as much as you would hate to see him go. The, the guy deserves to get an opportunity elsewhere if the Reds don't protect him and, and add him to the 40-man roster. And odds are they're not going to let him go, so they're going to bring him up. And I think they're waiting until that that Rule 5 time, but at least that'll force them to do it, and, and that's when he'll be added to, the, added to the roster. One question I have for you before we you know, start wrapping up here, uh, as we're still kind of discussing on pieces that you could potentially move and what have you. Um, what do you make of the, the way that David Bell has used Shogo Akiyama to this point? You pay so much to make sure that you're the team that gets the guy and then you only put him in situationally. Like hey. he he rarely starts it. You started Scott Heineman because of the the righty lefty matchup. You started Scott Heineman today over Shogo Akiyama, and Scott Heineman is is two for his entire career with <laughs> with both of them being home runs. But I, I, I 
I can't make rhyme reason of it. Yeah, I think it's just one of those, you know, I don't know, with, with the fantasy football where there's just certain players you just refuse to draft for whatever reason and you just won't you won't draft them. Like for me, Steelers. I would never draft I would never draft Larry Fitzgerald for the last like 8 years, but he was good for for a good portion of time even still i thought he was too old like eight years ago but i think for him i just think like shogo is one of those guys where it's like he doesn't see it he doesn't doesn't believe in his approach uh it's obviously different uh but shogo's 33 right but at the end of the day he's only been in the major leagues here for so much time right for he had 100 100 games i don't even think so no so no, no way. 114 at bats in his career. So yes, he's he's 33, but you need to let that guy just get at bats. He didn't get a single at bat in the minor leagues. He he needs to just get acclimated. He is very very talented, and I think that is undeniable. You wouldn't have teams going after him for the amount of money that they they were throwing at him if if he wasn't that talented. And I think he's capable of hitting lefties. I just don't think he's gotten an opportunity, like you said, to, to get enough at-bats. And I think that's a mistake. And Shogo could be one of those guys that goes elsewhere and gets consistent at-bats and figures it out. Um, and that would be a shame. So building on that question then, at what point do you throw the analytics into the fire and just go with your gut? That's a great question too. I, I would say game six of the World Series. Um, that would be a good time. The Reds uh, have no because, idea what that is. Not since 1990. Yeah. And even then, it was a, a four-game sweep. So it's no. Well, well, I'm talking like Blake Snell in the sixth inning type of thing. Um, you know, oh, yeah. that's where you look at these guys. They're not robots, right? When you look at the Blake Snell situation, of course. That I always go back to because it's like, okay, the analytics say he's not great third time through the lineup. Sure, that's true. But Nick Anderson had been struggling all postseason, and he's a human being. If I'm sucking, I know I'm sucking. And now I'm in the World Series in game six knowing I'm sucking, probably not going to be as good, right? The analytics can't account for that. So I think those are the situations where, you know, if you feel like, Shogo is is domed up at the plate, then maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe he sees Shogo just not not in the right state of mind there, and maybe that's why. Or maybe against lefties, he just sees a different level of discomfort. Maybe that's why. But personally, I really think it's 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 a personal thing. Like you can, f- that's what makes the great managers great. I think is that you don't hide behind the numbers. You see a guy, you get a vibe you believe in what he is feeling and you use the the analytics to steer you. But then at the end of the day, you trust that you know your players better than any computer, better than any algorithm. And you go with that. And again, I think game six of the world series this past year is the best example of it. Cool. Clay, you got anything else? I have one more simple question. I don't know why I think this, but, isn't it true that every time the Marlins have made the playoffs, they've gone to the World Series? Is that true? Not and last it, year. They, they've won the World Series until last year's Mickey Mouse. Until Mass. last year, okay. But last year didn't count. So Yeah, exactly. I, I don't count last year. That's Mickey Mouse season. The Marlins have won the World Series both times. 97-03, wild card team, won all the That's way. That's so cool. <laughs> Craziest thing ever. Wild card team both years, won all the way. And uh, Jeff Conine was on the team for both of them. 
Red's uh, legend, yep. Yeah, Red's legend, Jeff Conan. I think he was like 48 when <laughs> he was with the Reds, wasn't he? Yeah. I, the only other player I can think of that I think played for Reds and Marlins off the top of my head, did Austin Bryce play for the Marlins? Yeah. yeah Dontrell Willis. Dontrell oh, Willis. Dontrell Willis. He raked for the Reds. That was a hitter who just happened to also be a good pitcher. Nailed it. Dontrell hit 357, I think, with the Reds. <laughs> I'm not getting <laughs> I mean, get a 10 ERA. Well, and uh, what was the uh, the center fielder slash shortstop that we brought in in the preseason this season? Derek D. Dietrich. Gordon. Oh, D. Gordon. Yeah, Dietrich, too. That's that's two of them. Dietrich. He was a, the most fun player for two months. I've never seen a city rally around a – Random player like Derek Dietrich, oh and then he's terrible, and, and like, everyone hates oh, him. How could the Marlins let Dietrich go? I was like, just give it a month. Like, yeah, and and that's exactly what happened. But um, the Dan one other thing I was going to say is Dan Straley because Dan Straley played for both. Got, yeah, got you freaking, or was it Latos? No, it was, no, it was, it was Luis Castillo that we got for Dan Straley. Latos is Clay's favorite person in the world. So Matt Latos is still Matt playing Latos in independent league baseball. I think Matt Latos got you Descalfani. Yes, yeah. that's true. Disco. Cy Young front runner for like three weeks through this season. And then the bottom fell out. <laughs> yeah. So there's some Reds Marlins crossover. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, best of luck this year to I mean, I, I like the Reds. I think they're fun. Cassianos is from my area, like rival high school. So I, I'm always rooting for those guys and uh I hope he stays in Cincinnati because I like seeing him put up numbers. So um, I- I'm rooting for the Reds. I will definitely let you guys know when I'm out there. I- I'm excited to check that off my list. And uh, it- it's one of like the five last stadiums. So I'm excited. <laughs> well, hey, tell us one more time where we can find you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. Real quick. Oh, sorry. real quick. Real quick. Because on his website, he covers collectibles. And so I just want you to know if you want to cover this collectible, it's a banana phone signed by Marty Brenneman. You just let me know. I will. I will. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> you have a banana phone signed by Marty Brenneman. Yeah. Do you know the story? Uh, I've heard of him. Well, I mean, yeah. So when the Reds Marty, would have not, not Tom, yeah, but Marty, Marty yeah. Brenneman. Uh, yeah. yeah. When the Reds would have rain delays, they would go to what they called the banana phone, and then one time, look it up. Adam Dunn called into the banana phone as Adam from Milwaukee. Hilarious from the clip. clubhouse. From the clubhouse. It's a hilarious clip. I'm also going to get Adam Dunn to sign this one of these days. He oh, asked, I got to look that up. That he asked Marty great. Brenneman, like, do you, do you want me to take my shirt off? Like, No, no. He asked weird. Marty Brenneman his shirt was on. Oh, whatever like, it was. There's something about Scott a shirt. Do you think Scott is a good off. player? Yeah, it, it was real weird. He just kept talking in, like, this Barney voice. It's very strange. I stood in the player's garage for an hour holding this phone waiting for Marty to, to sign it. <laughs> People looked at me weird. That's dedication, man. Hey. Uh, unbelievable. I got this phone well, for seven fifty. All right. Well, thanks for checking the website. So he was on JustBaseball.com. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's where you can find a lot of the latest work. Just launched today. Uh, so really excited about that. And uh, we'll have top 10, deciding if it's going to be top 10 or top 15. I think we're going to do top 15 prospects for each each of the 30 teams. So Red's top 15 should be coming out uh, pretty soon, the next couple weeks. And um, 
I will Alejo Lopez I'll give Alejo some serious consideration in that top 15. If he's not in the top 15, he's honorable mention. I think I'm going to put him in the top 15. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about that and definitely check the website out. I'd appreciate it. And then you can find me on Twitter at A-R-A-M-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N and the number eight. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, staying in touch with you guys and uh, go Reds. So that was Arm Layton. Again, you can check him out, Arm Layton 8 at on on Twitter. Um, but thank you very much. You are welcome back anytime, sir. So this was another episode of Part in the Punctuation. So for Arm Layton, for Clay Snowden, for Ed, as always, and for myself, Aaron Smith, this has been Part in the Punctuation. We'll see you. Ba-dum-dum. <laughs>